0: Welcome to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with us as we study God's Word together. Hello, I'm Cody Westbrook and you're listening to another episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We're studying through the book of Nehemiah with reference to rebuilding the walls. What we want to do as we study through this book is find some principles that will help us to make application to the church of Christ today. Our desire is to learn from the book of Nehemiah some principles that will help us as we continue planning and looking to the future, doing the work of God to His glory. And in this book, we have seen so far that every good work requires, first, planning and preparation, and then it requires execution of that plan from every member of the congregation, from the leaders uh, on down. But as we get to Nehemiah chapters 4 through 6, we begin to see the inevitable. You see, every good work, whatever it is, will deal with some controversy will deal with some opposition and some difficulty of some kind. It could be something like a natural disaster. A congregation could be going along working hard in the kingdom of God and then a natural disaster like a flood or a hurricane or a tornado comes and does damage to the community and to the church building and to the efforts there. It could be something like internal opposition, sin in the congregation that has to be dealt with. It could be something like external opposition, uh, those outside forces of the world that press against and fight against everything that we try to do. Whatever it is, there will always be some sort of difficulty and challenge to whatever plan and whatever good work we're trying to do. It's just inevitable. The question then is, how will we react whenever those challenges arise? Well, in Nehemiah chapters 4 through 6, we see exactly that. In the first couple of chapters, Nehemiah saw the need and he crafted carefully a plan. And then in Nehemiah chapter 3, he went to the execution of that plan. And now when we get to chapter 4, Nehemiah and the children of Israel are hard at work rebuilding the walls, carrying out the plan that Nehemiah had crafted And so they're going to deal with some challenges, some difficulty here. And I want us to notice, first of all, the external confrontation that they had to deal with. That is, the challenges that came from without. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubble? Stones that are burned? There are five questions that Sanballat asks in these two verses. And the purpose of these questions is, is essentially to begin a propaganda campaign designed to belittle and to ridicule the Jews and the work that they're doing. You see, in the eyes of Sanballat, the Jews were good for nothing. And their work in rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem was good for nothing. And so he sought to destroy it. He sought to thwart that work in whatever way that he could. Now look at the five questions that he asks. He says, what will these feeble Jews, or what are these feeble Jews doing? The word feeble is a word that, the, word, the root of that word is used to describe a withering plant and hopelessness. In other words, as he looks to the Jews, he sees people that are weak, or at least he's describing them as people who are weak and people who are useless. He then asks the question, will they fortify themselves? Meaning, can they do this on their own? Are they even capable? Do they even realize what they're doing? Do they have anyone with the expertise needed to complete this plan? He then asks the question, Will they offer sacrifices? Meaning, are they going to pray this are they going to pray this work to a completion? Are they going to depend on some supernatural power in order to do it, to do it for them? Will they complete it in a day, he asks. Meaning, do they really think that they're going to be able to finish this job in a timely manner? And then he says, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. In this question, he exaggerates really the destruction of the city and its walls that was left by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians many years before. His point is, there aren't even any building materials left, which of course wasn't true. There were plenty of usable stones and building materials that were left. But, again, the purpose of asking these questions is to try and affect the people's mentality. To try and make them doubt themselves. To try and get them to really believe what he's saying. That they were incapable. That what they were trying to do was impossible. That's one of Satan's primary tactics. To try and get us to think negatively about who we are and about the work that we're doing. To try to get us to doubt That our God has the desire and the ability to bless work that is done in his kingdom and to his glory. He wants us to feel like we're incapable. He wants us to have a negative outlook. And if we have a negative outlook, if we give in to these tactics, then we'll give Satan the upper hand. Notice, though, that this didn't work. Because in verse number 3... The Bible tells us about some additional foes, Tobiah the Ammonite. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now in verse number 7, it says it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they all became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and to cause confusion. You see, when, when Sanballat realized that he hadn't been able to stop the work on his own, he brought in reinforcements. We have Samballat of, Sam- of Samaria. That's the land to the north of Jerusalem, of Judah. We have Tobiah and the Ammonites to the east, the Arabs to the south, and the Ashdodites to the west. Sambalat has recruited uh, help from every corner and his, his desire, his plan, is to surround the children of Israel in their work and to intimidate them. He threatened them, this whole group threatened them with physical harm. They, they threatened to attack the city. He wanted to intimidate them into stopping the work. In fact, he does this again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the sixth chapter of Nehemiah, now we're at the end of the project, or close to the end anyway, In Nehemiah chapter 4, we're closer to the beginning. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we're closer to the end. The project is close to completion. And in this chapter, Nehemiah, or excuse me, Samballot resorts to plotting to murder Nehemiah. He recognizes that all of his efforts in Nehemiah chapter 4 did not work. And so in Nehemiah chapter 6, he says, well, then I'll just try and kill the leader. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, he puts together a plan to try and lure Nehemiah to come out of the city. He tries to lure him to go into the temple in Nehemiah chapter 6 verses 10 to 14. And Nehemiah had the foresight and wisdom to see through these plans, and so they failed. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 16 tells us that the enemies of God did everything that they possibly could. And in Nehemiah chapter 6 verses 17 to 19, we even learn that Sambalat had help from some Jews who had betrayed Nehemiah from the inside. He had inside help, and yet still he was unsuccessful. You see, everything that Nehemiah and or excuse me, Sam and Tobiah and the rest could possibly do to try and stop this work from being done, they tried. And everything that they tried to do failed. Now, what, is this, what does this teach us? What lesson is to be learned from this? Well, the lesson is that there are always going to be attacks from those outside the body of Christ. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said that the world will hate you because it hated him first. John chapter 15 verses 18 and 19. And in every generation, in every age of the history of man, those who have sought to serve God have been attacked and ridiculed by those who hate God. Jeremiah was slandered. Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 18. The people of the land tried to stop the Jews under Zerubbabel from doing their work for God in Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Haman tried an evil plot in Esther chapter 3. The Jews at Thessalonica tried to stop the preaching of the gospel in Acts chapter 17. And even after the apostle Paul left the city, tried to undo the work that he had done. So we must never be surprised whenever we're attacked from outside foes. We must never be surprised when outside forces do everything within their power to stop the progress of the work of God. But we also must not be intimidated and we must remain faithful. More about that in just a few moments. Now we've looked at some external attacks. Let's look at some internal issues. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we have an occasion of some internal difficulty that Nehemiah and the people had to work through as they were doing this great work. You see, it was harvest time and the project of rebuilding the walls took a long time and yet the people still had to eat. And so, in the first five verses, there is some complaint that is levied against Nehemiah because of the difficulty of the people during famine and during harvest, trying to to figure out how they're going to be able to afford to eat. But then the problem, the real problem, is stated in verse 6 and 7. This is what Nehemiah 5, verse 6 and 7 says, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Each one of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, verse 8, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and had nothing to say. You see, what's going on is that some of the Jews realized the situation. They realized that people needed to eat, and so they found that as a keen opportunity for them to line their pockets. They were extorting their brethren, and so Nehemiah rebukes them for it. Now, what do we learn from this? Unfortunately, we learn that sometimes there are even attacks from within the body of Christ. Sometimes, even within the church of our Lord, There are those and those occasions that will seek to hinder the work of God. For example, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, Jesus talks about a situation in which a brother sins against another brother. And he says that if your brother sins against you, that you should go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if that doesn't work, you should take two or three witnesses. And if that doesn't work, you should take it before the church. And if he still won't listen, you should count him as a heathen and a publican. You see, what he's what he's getting at is the reality of difficulty, the reality of confrontation, unfortunately, even amongst members of the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 18, that context, Jesus is giving the recipe for dealing with that. But again, the principle is that sometimes... Sometimes it, it, it just comes into fruition and it has to be dealt with in the first place. And whenever it rears its ugly head, it has the potential to thwart the work of God. There are other examples of this in the Bible. For example, in Galatians chapter 2, there's a confrontation between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter because Peter played the hypocrite. But thankfully, on that occasion, he repented of his wrong. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 16 and following, the Apostle Paul talks about those who were preaching the gospel of improper motives, trying to cause him more harm, trying to cause him more damage. In 3 John, we read about uh, one who d- named Diotrephes who desired to have the preeminence and who was causing problems within the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira and their attempt through selfishness and greed to cause problems within the congregation. First Corinthians chapter 5, we have an example of one who was caught in sexual immorality and the command that the church was given to deal with that problem. You see, unfortunately, the church is always going to deal with problems of one kind or another even from within its walls. But here's the most important thing for us to get out of this. We cannot simply ignore those problems. You see, if we ignore problems, then those problems will simply grow and become larger, and like a cancer, they will eventually eat us up from within. They will make the church sick from within, and that will hinder the work of God. So we have to deal with the problems, whether they are internal or whether they are external. We have to make sure that they are taken care of in a biblical way and not allow ourselves to be overcome by those problems. Yes, they cause us heartbreak. Yes, they make us sad. But they cannot defeat us. Now, let's go back to Nehemiah. The third thing that we want to see is how Nehemiah dealt With the problems in Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6. First of all, in dealing with these problems, Nehemiah was realistic about the possibilities. You see, in the first few verses of Nehemiah chapter 4, we read about the attacks. But then, if you skip down to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, uh, excuse me, 4 to 6, you notice that Nehemiah and the people appeal to God and they continue their work because they had a mind to work, verse 6. And then if you skip down to verse number 10 and following, you notice in verse 13 that Nehemiah positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and set people according to their families with uh, their swords and their spears and their bows. You see, what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 4 is he created soldier builders. He always had some who were working and always had some who were watching. And men had a hammer and a shovel or a shovel in one hand and a sword or a spear in the other. You see, they were working but also watching. The point is that they were proactive. Nehemiah's solution was to be proactive. He knew that there was a strong possibility of an attack, and he wasn't going to wait until the attack showed up to prepare for it. Now, what does that teach us? That teaches us that we must always be on guard and never allow ourselves to be lulled into sleep. It teaches us that we must always be proactive in our thinking, that we must always be looking to the future and the possibilities of whatever challenges might come be they internal or be they external, we've got to plan for the future in dealing with confrontation, just as we have to plan for the future in looking to do the work of God uh, in the first place. Second, when problems arise, we must react to those problems, but we cannot overreact. You see, there's a difference between being concerned and paying attention and being mindful about dealing with a situation and allowing ourselves to overreact and to panic. Nehemiah did not panic. Look at Nehemiah again, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. What did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah prayed. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. What did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah depended upon God. Verse 14, as he spoke to the nobles and the leaders and the people, he said this, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He urged the brethren, urged his people to have faith in God. Look at Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 7. We talked about this internal problem that was going on in Nehemiah chapter 5. And notice the first part of verse 7. What what happened before Nehemiah rebuked the nobles and the rulers? It says, after serious thought. Nehemiah thought carefully about his reaction. He thought carefully about how to deal with this problem, just like he thought carefully about his plan in the uh, first couple of chapters of Nehemiah. So as he's dealing with this problem, he thought carefully about his plan. Not only did he think carefully about his reaction, but he addressed the problem directly, and he laid out the solution. Let's read again verse 7 to 12 of Nehemiah chapter 5. It's important to get this entire thought in context. After serious thought, Nehemiah 5, 7, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, What you you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and gain. Please, let us stop this usury. "'Restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, "'also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them.' "'So they said, We will restore it, and, uh, and will require nothing from them. "'We will do as you say.' "'Then I called the priest and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise.'" Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise, even thus may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to the promise. The book of Nehemiah is a textbook on proper leadership. And in this case, Nehemiah, as one of the great leaders who has ever lived, he calls the people together. After careful thought, and he addresses the problem directly, he lets them know exactly what the problem is. He lays it out before them, and he lays out the solution. He doesn't speak in generalities. He doesn't withhold information. He communicates clearly. He communicates precisely, and he communicates effectively. And therefore, the problem is handled. We also notice as Nehemiah dealt with these various issues, that Nehemiah stayed committed to what was important throughout all of this, and that is his integrity and his work. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 6, The people had a mind to work. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse number 3, I sent great messengers to them, and I said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse number 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee who is there, uh, such, I, such as I uh, who would flee to go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. You see, in all three of these occasions, Nehemiah's commitment to his work and his integrity is what kept things going. In Nehemiah chapter 4, he didn't allow the people to become afraid and stop working because they, they all had a mind to work. In Nehemiah chapter 6, whenever uh, Ballad and Tobiah sought to lure him out of the city, he said, no, I'm not going to leave the city. I'm involved in a good work. And in chapter 6, verse number 11, whenever they tried to lure him into the temple to save his life, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. Why would I leave the people who are working to try and go and save my life and leave them in danger? See, commitment to what is important, not losing sight of the goal, is perhaps the most important uh, factor into working through confrontation, working through difficulty, and making sure that the work goes on. You see, any good work at some point in time is going to meet adversity. It may come from outside. It may come from inside. It may be something that is significant. It may be a problem that's really more of just a minor inconvenience and everything in between. But regardless, in dealing with the the adversity, whatever it is, we cannot allow it to redirect our efforts. We have to stay the course. We have to keep the faith, and we have to be proactive in dealing with the challenges, whatever they may be. That's the end of our study. We're glad that the Lord has given us this time and this opportunity. We hope that this study has been helpful to you. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Please tell your friends and your family members and your congregation about the, the podcast and about the work of the Southwest Congregation. And please keep us constantly in your prayers and prayers as we are always praying for you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. We hope that you'll join us again, Lord willing, for future uh, episodes as we continue to open up God's Word and study it together. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. Please visit our website at swcofseed.org for more information about the Southwest Church of Christ. And if you're in the Austin area, please come and visit with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life.